So I'm Dr. Peter Przybokowski. Um, I'm going to kind of steer off topic from what I was presenting yesterday. We're going over neuropathic uh, pain syndromes and functional pain syndromes. We're kind of really going to shift focus now to the future in pain management, which is more regenerative or restorative medications um, to help patients with pain. And today we'll be reviewing platelet-rich plasma and whether or not it's going to be beneficial in the future or whether it's still kind of to be seen. So my background, I'm double-boarded in both anesthesia and pain management. I went to medical school at Robert Wood Johnson in uh, Piscataway, New Jersey. It's now called Rutgers Medical School. Did my internship at Einstein in uh, northern Philadelphia, and then my residency and fellowship both at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, I stayed on faculty at Penn for two years. I was the director of the acute pain service, where I rounded on patients that had acute postoperative pain, doing a lot of interventions, rounded on chronic pain, patients that were admitted with acute pain complaints. And then more recently, I joined the private practice world, and I'm in a group of, uh, there's 15 anesthesia pain doctors, and I have four neurologists I work with. We have 20 offices, um, 18 in New Jersey, and two in Philadelphia, and I run one in Philadelphia and, and one in Cherry Hill with one of my colleagues. So um, I have nothing to disclose. I don't work for any of the pharma companies. I do do spinal cord stimulation. I use all the medical devices. Learning objectives today. Just a show of hands, how many family physicians do we have in here today? Nurse practitioners? Interventional pain docs? Great. Any orthopedic surgeons? And any cell biologists, by any chance? No? Pharmacists? and miscellaneous people. You don't fit into any category, like myself. Okay, great. Well, thanks for coming. So learning objectives for today, we're gonna to go over platelet-rich plasma. It's gonna be referred to as PRP throughout this talk. I'm not gonna be talking at all about any mesenchymal stem cell injections, bone marrow injections, um, things of that nature. We're just gonna really focus on PRP today. Um, we're gonna talk about what it is, how we acquire it from patients, how we then inject it into patients who have pathologies, and explain kind of its benefits surrounding its use and why it's kind of a hot topic in the pain field right now. We'll cite some data, mostly some, um, some Cochrane reviews that um, show some orthopedic data, and some um, newer data from the spine literature. Um, I'm a member of the American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians, among other things, and at that, our national conference in April this past year in Dallas, there were some presentations on people injecting it for discogenic um, pain and the results they had. We'll describe um, what I think the future holds for this uh, modality for our pain patients. So regenerative medicine, like I said, it's kind of a hot topic right now. Everyone, you know, we're used to giving molecules for patients to provide them with analgesia, whether it's binding to the mu opioid receptor, inhibiting, descending um, pain pathways. Regenerative medicine is actually using the body's own healing power to provide relief for patients. Um, most of these patients um, prefer kind of this, you know, your patients that are really into complementary and alternative medicine, that might, this might be an option for them when they want to avoid medications or surgery. Um, obviously, it's less reliant on medications, more reliant on um, the own patient's uh, healing power to, to give them pain relief. It's quote unquote more natural. And like I said, it's allowing the body to heal itself. So the way I kind of um, think about it is it's like, do you want to shop at Whole Foods? You can get more bang for your buck, or would you prefer to go to your local national chain? 
There's a lot of debate right now, mainly because PRP is not FDA approved for any type of injection. So patients are paying out of pocket anywhere from $500 to $1,000 to get these injections. And there's still not a lot of data behind its use yet. So some terms and definitions um, for today's lecture. So regenerative medicine, it's the belief of using an intervention or substance to heal, treat, or regenerate injured or damaged tissue. RIT um, stands for regenerative injection therapy. And what we're doing is injecting things like PRP into um, areas that need healing or regeneration to provide um, functional recovery for patients. And it's not a new concept. This concept of regeneration goes all the way back to Greek mythology. So there's a Greek god named Prometheus. He was banished to the mountains by Zeus. Zeus kind of controlled everything back then. Prometheus, this guy, he stole fire from Zeus. So Zeus got pissed off. He banned him to the mountains. And this god was tortured for over 30,000 years by an eagle named Ethos who would eat his liver every day. And every night his liver would regenerate, and this guy would remain tortured for 30,000 years. So there's the eagle ethos. So that was representative of Zeus um, and eating Prometheus's liver every day, and it would regenerate. So this concept's not new. It's been around for, for centuries. So more recently, the, the reason I got into this field is when I joined private practice, I had a lot of patients coming to me from my more affluent communities asking me if we did PRP. Do you guys do PRP? Do you inject PRP? What's this thing about PRP? So back in 2008, 2010, I had some orthopedic colleagues of mine that worked at Jefferson across the river who were doing PRP injections. There were some famous athletes in Philadelphia, mainly um, Philadelphia Phillies um, pitchers who had a lot of tendinopathies. And, you know, they, the orthopedic field are the really ones, that, the, the guys that started doing these injections about 10 years ago. Um, you know, Tiger Woods apparently had it injected into his back for his low back pain. We see how that turned out for him. He hasn't won many majors since. Uh, more recently, uh, U.S. Open Rafael Nadal also had an injection for tennis elbow about five years ago. And, you know, unfortunately he lost this weekend. So there's a lot of these famous athletes out there getting these injections. They can afford to get them. Um, one of the big orthopedic surgeons, Dr. Andrews, who a lot of the famous uh, athletes across this country go to down in Alabama. He's another big proponent of these PRP injections. So it's popular in the press where I live in Philadelphia. There's actually, you know, unfortunately the internet's not up today, but there's a lot of plastic surgeons, dermatologists using PRP to help with a lot of things. One of the things is hair rejuvenation. I'm not too up on the topic because I'm an anesthesia pain doctor. But they seem to be getting good results for men who are having uh, male pattern baldness using this PRP to develop new hair cells. Um, there's other doctors um, around where I live too. This is a, a link to another video in your handout. It's a plastic surgeon in um, the UK who's doing PRP injections on females, kind of like facial rejuvenation. Um, more recently, last week, I was looking around my area to see who's doing PRP injections, and it seems to be really popular with the plastic surgeons and the dermatologists. There's a couple guys in my area doing, um, they're called O injections, which are just to help with vaginal rejuvenation. So there's a lot of weird uses of PRP right now. So what is PRP? It's plasma-rich protein, but what is it? What's in it that could help our patients? So it's platelet-rich plasma, or it's blood plasma that's been enriched with platelets. 
it's believed to contain certain cytokines and growth factors that aid in healing. So just to name a, a few of these, if you remember from med school, you know, basically our cell biology class, wound healing, platelet-derived growth factor, um, TGF-beta, which is transforming growth factor, fibroblast growth factor, insulin-like growth factor, VEGF, which helps angiogenesis and new um, blood vessel formation, epidermal growth factor, interleukin-8, and keratinocyte growth factor, and connective tissue growth, growth factor. So what do we have common here? A lot of these things are growth factors. So we're trying to grow or regenerate tissue in areas of injury. Like I said, all these growth factors, what is equal, we're trying to grow, regenerate, and ultimately heal pathologies. So beliefs surrounding its use currently, the growth factors present in the PRP that we obtain from patients aid in wound healing, tissue repair, new blood vessel formation, but most of these claims are still under investigation. There's not a lot of RCTs out there right now describing the use of this modality. A lot of it are case series and case reports. So from our cell biology class, whenever we have a wound, say a um, puncture site or a nick with a uh, knife, what happens? Is it, um, does anyone remember wound healing 101? So we have first hemostasis, blood vessel constricts to prevent loss of further blood. We then have, after the hemostasis, we then have inflammation. So you have things like macrocytes, neutrophils, platelets, all being attracted by chemotactic agents to the site of injury. So that's the inflammatory cascade that, that occurs. We then have proliferation of new um, cells to repair the wound. And after proliferation of the new cells, we have what is called um, maturation of, of the, cell, the cell matrix. So what we're doing with PRP is trying to initiate this wound healing cascade in, in areas of, of tissue damage. So there's different cytokines that are you know, used to create new tissue matrix. Um, we have mitogenic growth factors like platelet-derived growth factor, fibroblast growth factor. These are mostly in platelets. We have angiogenic factors like VEGF, which is very well studied. And we have matrix-building proteins like fibrinogen, fibronectin, and these are mostly found in the plasma. So another slide, wound repair. We have hemostasis immediately with vasoconstriction. We then have vasodilatation with histamine release to allow um, things present in whole blood to reach the area of, of injury. Um, the inflammatory cascade occurs. As inflammation is occurring, we eventually have new tissue formation and then matrix um, maturation and, and remodeling. So this, this is pretty, you know, a common slide we all learn in medical school about wound healing. And what we're trying to do now is, is inject PRP into sites of injury to start this process uh, occurring. So how is it acquired? One of the main goals I wanted you guys to learn about today is how it is acquired. It is a timely procedure, typically anywhere between 20 and 30 minutes. So our family practice practitioners out there does take time, and I know you're kind of strapped for seeing a lot of patients. Um, typically, it's done by the uh, attending in-house doing the venipuncture. Um, what we see here is an overview of the venipuncture. So you're taking whole blood from the patient, um, putting it into vials, and then what we're doing is we're actually um, using the whole blood and centrifuging it, centrifuging it twice. 
And what we're trying to do is remove um, red blood cells from the plasma. And then we do a further spin, which further enriches the plasma and contains a lot of the um, platelets we're looking for that we can then use for injection. So there, obviously there's some contraindications to doing PRP. Um, if a patient has active cancer, leukemia, lymphoma, it's a contraindication to taking whole blood from them and centrifuging it. Anyone with thrombocytopenia of any known etiology, um, whether it's ITP, um, heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, they're not good candidates for this procedure. Their platelet count is low to begin with. And what we're trying to do is make basically a uh, five-fold increase in the platelet count with this injection we're giving. It's typical platelet count is about 200,000 um, platelets per uh, microliter. With PRP and centrifuging down the whole blood, what we're trying to do is, is attain a, a concentrate that has a platelet count and growth factor concentration roughly five-fold of what would be typical in our whole blood. Strict aseptic technique needs to be maintained. As most anesthesiologists know, platelets are the, um, the most common thing to cause bacterial infection when they're transfused in the patient population because they're stored at room temperature. They also need to be agitated. So this procedure, after you do the centrifuge um, of the whole blood, you want to inject it pretty much in a timely fashion. This isn't something you're going to refrigerate and keep overnight. It's going to be injected the same day, usually within minutes of, of doing the um, centrifuge um, procedure. So acquiring it, we're separating whole blood into three layers. We have the platelet-poor plasma, PPP, PRP, platelet-rich plasma, and RBCs. Two spins are typically used. There are some people that are doing one spin, but if you're most of the things I'm reading from both orthopedic and pain literature, um, two spins are being employed. First spin is known as the hard spin. It separates the platelet-poor plasma from the platelet-rich plasma and the red blood cells. And the second spin, or the soft spin, separates the red fraction um, from the platelet-rich plasma. Um, typically, prior to injecting, a platelet activator is used. It's typically bovine thrombin or a 10% calcium chloride solution. T typical inject date, um, usually about two to three Cs is what is being injected for tendinopathies and patients with uh, diabetic stasis ulcers or venous stasis ulcers at this point. I haven't read any data in terms of patients using anything really above five cc's of this PRP solution for um, healing properties. So some early uses of PRP, enhancing bone grafts in oral surgery. In the early 2000s, it was used. Treatment for hair loss is a big one right now. Skin rejuvenation in the plastic surgery dermatology world is big right now. Tendon or joint repair. So like I said, orthopedic surgeons um, started injecting these into patients about 10 years ago now. Skin rejuvenation, like I mentioned. So why do we need PRP? So it's, it's, it's kind of thinking outside the box. We're used to giving patients' molecules to help with pain. It's nice to maybe be able to provide something that's natural, it's from their own body, that can aid in tissue restoration and healing. So there are limitations for certain spinal pathologies. A lot of patients who have back pain undergo discectomy or fusion. The long-term benefit is typically lacking. Typically, patients are seeing relief 12, 24 months after surgery, and pathology or scar tissue grows back, and they're left with the same pain complaints. There's limited lifespan span of some of our surgical and orthopedic procedures, such as rotator cuff repairs, shoulder surgeries, uh, knee replacements, um, spinal fusions with hardware becoming loose and, and, and moving. 
And there's this more trend now in the lay public towards granola treatment or what's healthy for me. I don't want to be on medications. What can I do in terms of activating physical therapy, acupuncture, and using my own body to heal itself? That's great, but does it work? So we'll review some studies now, going over kind of what it's been used for. Um, it's a new concept, like I said. It's probably been in use for about 10 to 15 years now, um, but still, for the most part, has yet to be proven out in um, any robust, randomized clinical trials. There's a lot of high-profile athletes getting these injecting, injections or almost acting like guinea pigs with hit-or-miss results. There is a high incidence of post-procedure pain in both the orthopedic and spine literature. And I have followed my orthopedic colleagues in clinic that do these injections. And there is an inflammatory response that occurs and the patients have pretty significant pain for a 24 to 48 hour period post-injection. It is expensive, like I said, it's not FDA approved. Anywhere from $500 to $1,000, depending on what part of the country you're in and where the injection is being per performed at in terms of it's being performed into the skin into a joint. So he, the question was, how would that compare to a fluoroscopically guided epidural injection? So for my Medicare patient, I'll get re reimbursed maybe 80 to $100 for a lumbar epidural. Uh, so for most patients, we'll I'll, we'll, my group will charge 200 $250 if it's out of pocket. Yeah. Um, these procedures, $500 to $1,000. Um, and at least I can kind of tell them what to expect with a lumbar or cervical epidural in terms of pain relief. This, it's really kind of hit or miss. And like I said, it is time-consuming. You have to do the venipuncture. It's difficult if you have a morbidly obese patient population that has poor venous access. Um, you have to spin the whole blood down, and then you have to do the injection. Typically, these are be being all done under ultrasound-guided. Yes, question? Yes, you can, you, can bill, you can bill for the joint injection. You can't bill for the venipuncture, the acquiring of it, and the centrifuge of the whole blood. Yep. So some spine data. Spine data is very limited. Um, it's still up and coming. Most of the spine data is for patients with discogenic back pain. And, uh, you know, especially where I'm at in the Philadelphia area, we've kind of gotten away from doing discograms. Um, so... The patients who are, would get better with this, you know, they actually have to have a diagnosis of discogenic back pain. So this is a study that was done in um, Pain Medicine Journal in 2014. It was actually injection of PRP into the disc for patients who had chronic discogenic low back pain. And that what they found was it was a six-month follow-up study. They had um, 22 patients, so a small, small sample size. Um, nine patients underwent the PRP injection at a single level where they had discogenic back pain. And the other, um, excuse me, other 12 patients underwent sham injection. And what they found was that um, patients who underwent the intradiscal PRP had um, decreased VAS scores and better mobility in their low back. Like I said, the N is very small. We're talking about a sample size of 22 patients with this, this study. More recently, at ASIP um, meeting in Dallas, um, Journal of Stem Cells 2015, a case series of three PRP injections. These were uh, not injected into um, the disc itself, but rather into the facet joints 
or surrounding ligaments. They weren't clear as to what ligaments they were. Um, what they sound, found was small end, like I said, five patients, 40 to 50, uh, excuse me, 40 to 100 percent improvement with three injections. Um, authors admitted that you know, bias could be the, the data could be biased because they knew what they were injecting into the patients. Study unpublished in 2016, Navani is um, a spine surgeon overseas, discogenic low back pain, PRP or um, BMC. This is a mesenchymal stem cell kind of mixture that people are also, also injecting in areas of the body. Patients um, with discogenic low back pain, um, what they saw was 18 patients, small N, improved visual analog scale 50% um, in, in 17 patients, significant improvement um, at six months. So there's some data out there. It's small. I really don't believe this data. It's all, it, it's, until there's a large randomized clinical trial, um, the jury's kind of out on the spine, spine literature. Um, same thing, these are more injections being done with patients with discogenic low back pain, small N. They are seeing improvement with Vigilog um, analog scale scores. Um, and most of these studies are of durations of four to six months. So orthopedic data is more robust than the spine literature, mainly because the orthopods have been doing these injections longer. Um, still lacking like, good positive outcomes, though. Um, Typically, it's in the setting of treating um, athletic tendinopathies and soft tissue trauma. There are guys out there, though, using it um, to inject into the knee as well, and we'll review a little bit of that data. So a Cochrane review, um, PRP for musculoskeletal soft tissue injuries. So this was a review um, that basically said there's 19 trials with 1,000 participants, eight types of injuries they reviewed, rotator cuff tears, shoulder impingement syndrome, tennis elbow, ACL reconstruction, donor site tendon used for knee ligament reconstruction, patellar tendinopathies, Achilles tendinopathies, and acute rupture of the Achilles tendon. So what did it show? Low quality evidence, mostly due to the preparation of PRP. There's no, there's no guidelines out there right now, because it's not regulated by the government, of how to acquire it and what's the correct way to um, store or handle PRP after it's acquired. Um, insufficient evidence to support the use of PRP for treating musculoskeletal soft tissue injuries. That being said, I still have a lot of patients that get these injections with orthopedic surgeons. And I'd say my own experience, it's hit or miss. It's about 50-50 whether or not they get better or the pain stays the same or gets worse. Here's another study for arthroscopic rotator cuff repair. So these were patients while in the OR, while the surgeon was repairing the tendon, an injection of PRP was done into the site of tendon repair. And what they concluded was that the application of moderately concentrated PRP improves clinical and structural outcome in large cuff tears. PRP also enhances vascularity around the repair site in the early phase of recovery. So for NEOA, another study showing intraarticular um, injection of PRP. Um, in terms of its benefit, what they found was PRP is safe, provides quantifiable benefits for pain relief and functional improvement with regard to NEOA. No adverse events were reported for the PRP administration. And after one year, one of the uh, Womax scores, which is a score of pain for knee, um, knee patients, patients had improved uh, scores by 78% from their baseline, whereas scores for placebo controls improved only by 7%. Most injections are not being done into joint spaces. They're being done into tendons under live ultrasound guidance. Wound healing. So there's some literature 
um, some benefit in healing for patients to have complicated diabetic ulcers or venous stasis ulcers compared to standard of care. No long-term benefit, however, with chronic um, wounds. And this is the Cochrane review outlining um, that. Basically, this review for PRP for chronic wounds, they cited two randomized clinical, study, um, clinical trials for patients with diabetic ulcers that showed some improvement in wound healing after injection compared to placebo. So in a nutshell, this time it seems more hoax, but of course, obviously more studies need to be done. This is kind of a new frontier for injection therapy. Is it more reasonable to use PRP than steroids I'm typically using for spinal interventions? Debatable. I know what's going to happen with steroids postoperatively. I know what the side effect profile is. Um, obviously, we need more data about PRP and, and really adverse event reporting to see if anything that's of concern after these injections happen are causing our patients more harm than good afterwards. So what the future holds? Um, you know, we could down the line as interventional pain doctors be injecting PRP all over the spine, depending upon what, what future um, studies show. Maybe we could be doing it to help with repair torn discs or fissures um, in the vertebral spine, um, possibly using it for facet injections, as a replacement for our glucocorticoids, for our caudal, cervical, and lumbar epidurals, for PARS defects, for ligaments to support the spine, um, for SI joint injections. Um, so this is a slide. A colleague of mine from Jefferson, it was intradiscal PRP um, with, mixed with, with a mesenchymal mix. And, you know, this, I told him I couldn't believe it because to me they look like different sagittal cuts of the lumbar spine but he's showing results where he's getting decrease in disc bulge size and herniations after injection. But really, this is still kind of very cutting edge and off-label use in, in my mind. So PRP, right now we're still lacking solid knowledge on the benefits of injection for spinal procedures. Orthopedic literature is the oldest and most robust. Studies are still ongoing to assess its effectiveness. It's mostly done on patients who can, who can afford to pay the 500 to $1,000 out of pocket for these procedures. And with that, thank you for all attending. Questions? A copy of my informed consent. So I do not do the injections. I did, the question was, do I have a copy of the informed consent? So this morning, I was on the Hospital for Special Surgeries website, because that's probably the most well-known sports injury hospital in this country. And they have a, a five-page consent. The first page is, here are all the insurances that will not pay for this, for this injection? Can you afford to pay for this out-of-pocket before we even do the procedure? And then it goes into all the risks, including um, post-inflammatory response, 24 to 48 hours, worsening of pain. But obviously, it's, uh, it has to be informed consent when you're doing something that's a novel technique for patients, and they're paying a lot of money for it. So you want to make sure the expectations are, are appropriate with the patients. You can print it out online. I mean, I saw it this morning from the hospital for special surgery. My personal preference is I just do a dry needle technique. Without any lidocaine, I'm actually trying to cause kind of an inflammatory response to increase blood flow to where the um, trigger point's located. Um, but there's many things out, lidocaine versus no lidocaine versus saline versus steroid. 
there's really no good data to say one's better than the other. It's more the needle going in and out of the muscle. I feel it gives the long-term benefit. There is. So my first link in there, there's a video from a plastic surgeon in the UK um, that goes over the process of the venipuncture um, and the hard spin and the soft, soft spin through the centrifuge. Yes? So the thing with chronic pain is if we can heal, say you have disc bulge, disc herniation that's chronic, it's been long-standing, weakness, radicular symptoms, if you could heal the disc bulge or, or, or regenerate you know, tissue where tissue is not or is weak or disabled, you can theoretically restore function, right? So it's, it's all about creating the inflammatory response. The problem I have with the injections, especially into the disc space, the disc space, is very, there's not a lot of good blood flow. It's very hard to treat discogenic low back pain. There was a study in Europe where they were using antibiotics. Patients were on antibiotics for six months. Why? It's very hard to get blood flow into that region of the body. So even injecting something like PRP that's trying to cause an inflammatory response the first part of the inflammatory response is the vasodilatation, where there's blood flow and uh, chemokines and cytokines and you know, cells going to the site of injury. It's hard for patients with discogenic pain, in my mind, to see that as a feasible long-term option. Yes? So everything I've been reading, up to a total of three is what I've seen. I haven't seen anything published doing over three injections. In terms of the temporality of those injections, usually spread two weeks apart from each other. Yes? Purely went by MRI findings and EMG. Right. right. Yes? Yeah, and so in terms of chronicity, it seems to work better for patients with acute injuries. Um, there was a study of patients with labral tears where it worked acutely. Patients who have chronic injury, it's, the jury's still out. There's been no studies I've seen saying taking a patient with, with OA, bone-on-bone bone disease for two or three years and whether or not PRP works for that, that type of patient population. Yes? Typical duration of what? No, so, so what I've, and I've relied heavily on my orthopedic colleagues. What they see is, you know, if you take healthy 20 to 30 to 40-year-olds, they get these injections. They're not morbidly obese. They have no other medical comorbidities. It is a long, sustaining relief for them. It's not, it's not a kind of one and done or a series of injections, and you come back in a year and get another series. Yes? No, I do not. But that's also cutting edge, part of regenerative medicine, mesenchymal stem cells. That's all kind of being studied right now for, for patients with chronic pain conditions. Yes, in the back. Yes, that's what I told my friend. Yeah. Yes. It seems to me what you're saying is it's all about blood flow. 
Correct. Yeah. There, Yeah, and, and to that point, too, I think actually visualizing where, you know, like an open surgical procedure and whether that makes a difference in terms of ultrasound-guided injection, I mean, it makes more sense to me if you can actually see where the issue's at and you inject into that area. You might see better benefit than something that's ultrasound-guided and you're, you're basing it upon vascular area of structures and where nerves run. Yes? Right now, plastic surgeons, dermatologists are heavily involved in it. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a cash business for them. You know, you tell a patient, I can make you, I can make you 20 years younger, look younger with, you know, my PRP injection in your face. You know, there's not much more selling they have to do. And they, those physicians tend to not deal with insurance companies as often as, you know, someone in the field of, that, of what I do. Yes? Mm -hmm. And you look at the studies on prolotherapy, they're all over the place. There's really nothing exclusive. And really, it's really accomplishing itself the same thing at about what one hundred could cost. So uh, I'm not sure that this is going to pan out any better, especially when we even acknowledge that really the, the presence of blood flow that really contributes to the success of this procedure. So, I mean, prolotherapy basically does the same thing. You get a whole lot of blood flow and have a lot of inflammation. And, and you save a lot of money. Really well right. Uh, an acute inflammatory response, you can really, you could take a patient, put them in 10 out of 10 pain for two days. Um, the down, I mean, the, there's no adverse events I've seen reported yet. And whenever there's no adverse event, it always makes me question the literature and, and, you know, how true it is. Everything's with risk, you know? Yes? No, that they do not. Patients who are on... Um, uh, I'm trying to think, Lovenox, um, the heparinoids, there, has, there have been physicians out there stopping those products. Um, I've had talked to physicians who are doing it. They're still keeping patients on Plavix um, as well. But the heparinoids are the, the main medication I see being held for uh, PRP. Yeah. The biggest thing is the thrombocytopenia um, of, any, of any etiology. Those are the patients you want to avoid doing, doing this procedure on. Great. Well, thanks for coming. Enjoy Las Vegas.